Good morning. I'm adjusting the mic because we found out this morning that my head is too big and my fro is too big for the other mic. So let me just give me a moment. Um, our text of emphasis this morning is found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Please follow along as I read from the New International Version. And it says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wondrous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Dear Lord, we ask you to open our ears and our hearts and our minds so that we can see a clear picture of you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we continue our series entitled, Is This Good News? wherein we have been exploring the, some of the basic tenets of the Christian church with some emphasis on the Adventist church in particular. And today I have the pleasure of talking about the church. What is the purpose of the church? So I wanna start off by asking you a question. Why are you here? When I asked that, you probably started thinking about what motivated you to come here this morning. This morning, probably after a long week, you got up from your bed and you brushed your teeth, hopefully, and maybe you showered and got dressed. Why did you go through all that trouble? Why are you here? I actually kind of find it funny that I was asked to talk about this subject because just to, in full disclosure, just to be honest, I actually haven't been to a church service in about a month. Between my, week, my last week's visit to urgent care for strep throat or being away on vacation or to that one Sabbath when I just was too tired to function and needed to stay home to sleep a few extra hours, I haven't been to a church service in about four weeks, and I'm not ashamed to say that, as long as everybody is cool and doesn't tell my mom. But in those four weeks, I have engaged with Advent Hopers in some really meaningful ways. I have eaten and celebrated and cried with them. I have prayed with and prayed for and been prayed for. During a seemingly random occurrence during one of the most stressful times of the past month, an Advent Hoper, and he's sitting in the back nigh, um, he, during one of those stressful times, he sent me a YouTube video of a sermon that reminded me that God was holding me through the storm. And he sent it because he thought I would be interested without noting that it was exactly what I needed to hear in that moment. So in those four weeks that I haven't attended a church service, I have experienced life in this community just as much, if, as not, if not more, than when my attendance is stellar. So when I ask you that question, why are you here? I don't mean this building. I don't mean this church service. What I mean is, why are you a part of this? What does it matter that you are a part of this community? As a church, we have attempted to answer this question through the declaration of our purpose, and it's actually found on our website under the About section, and you can go to our website and you can click on it for yourself, but I'll read it for you. And it says that our purpose is to live in loving, worshipful relationship with God and in loving community with one another, empowered by the Holy Spirit to participate in God's reconciling and restorative work through Jesus Christ, of healing broken relationships between God and all people and between all members of the human family. 
And as we've developed that purpose and as we've studied the word together, we've come to understand why we have this purpose. That we've come to understand that the work of reconciliation between God and people has already been completed by the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it's that last part, that part about healing relationships between all members of humanity, that's the really hard part. It's hard because, well, I can't find a better way to say this, but people are messy and people are annoying. And I wonder if when I said messy and annoying, a picture of someone's head popped in, or someone's face popped into your head, because I know someone popped into mine. And the book of First Peter, from where we went, read our text of emphasis, was written by the Apostle Peter to, the, to people who were familiar with just how difficult it is to heal broken relationships. And because of that, they were asking themselves the same question that we're asking ourselves this morning. Why are we here? Why are we a part of this thing? Why does it matter that we are part of a community of Christians? And just to give you a little bit of context about 1 Peter, I want to take you back to chapter 1, verse 1, just so that we can see who this letter is addressed to. You see, unlike most of the letters in the Old Testament, which are addressed to one church in particular or one group of people, the book of 1 Peter is actually addressed to five different churches. And they're called Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And Peter, while he was writing this letter at this time, he was actually in Rome and he was in jail and he was preparing for his eventual execution. And word that these churches, that these churches were asking the same questions that they were asking this morning reached Peter. They were asking themselves, why are we here and why are we a part of this thing? And you have to understand that these questions didn't come out of nowhere. They weren't part of the summer sermon series. These questions arose because there was intense struggle within the church, and they were experiencing pressure from inside and outside of the church. Because these churches, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, were experiencing extreme persecution at the hands of the Roman government that had controlled over their area. But not only that, within the church there was discord because they just couldn't seem to agree about what it meant to be a Christian at that time, what it meant, how, how, what it meant to be a Christian and how they should live their lives and what that meant about their suffering. And there were even some in the church who saw the suffering and persecution and disagreements and they wondered whether they had followed a false messiah. They were supposed to be the body of Christ, but they were broken. So they started asking questions. Why are we here? Why does it matter that we're a part of this thing? And these questions, they mattered to Peter. And it's, obviously that, it's obvious that they mattered because you have to remember that Peter was in jail awaiting his execution while he was writing it. And when you're about to die, you get pretty selective about the things you spend your time on. And Peter wrote this, question, these, this letter to these churches because these questions mattered to him. Why are we here? Why are we a part of this thing? And I think that it mattered to Peter because Peter understood exactly what these churches were feeling. You see, 30 years before this letter was written, Peter had an experience that is recounted in Acts chapters 10 and 11. And this experience came after he had witnessed the ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus. And after he witnessed the physical body of Jesus going up into heaven, he dedicated his life to building the church, the body of Christ here on earth. He dedicated his life to preaching the gospel of the risen savior and the church was growing at an exponential rate. 
But like the churches that he was writing to, it was also a time of severe persecution of Christians. And we find him in Acts chapter 10, and we see that he's exhausted. And he had just mourned the loss of his young friend Stephen, who had been stoned to death for preaching the gospel. And here is Peter in Acts chapter 10, and he's likely overwhelmed by his ministry and by his grief. And we find him on the rooftop of the, of the top of his friend's house by the sea. He had gone up to the roof to pray. And then suddenly while he's praying, he goes into a trance. And the Bible says that he sees this vision. And here's what it says about the vision in verse 11 of Acts in chapter 10. It says, he saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter kill and eat. So let's stop right there. What would you do if you heard a voice from the literal heavens speak to you while you're standing on the rooftop? I think the answer for most normal people is absolutely nothing. I wouldn't do or say anything. I would keep my mouth shut and then after it was over, I would go home and probably need to change my pants. But not Peter. Because if you're anything like Peter, if you, if you know anything about Peter, you know that he loves to argue. You have to understand that this is the same guy that when Jesus knelt down in front of his disciples to wash their feet in the ultimate act of humility, he argued with Jesus and he said, no, Lord, you will never wash my feet. Sometimes it's like, dude, are you really arguing with Jesus? But old habits, they die hard. And in verse 14, Peter begins to argue with the voice from heaven. And in verse 14, he says, Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. You see, Peter was a Jew, and he was a good one. And the animals that were on that sheet were designated as ceremoniously unclean. And it was against the Jewish law, religious law, for Peter to eat them. And here was a voice, again, from the literal heavens, telling him to get up and kill and eat. And we continue in verse 15 in Acts chapter 10, and it says that the voice spoke to him a second time and said, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back up to heaven. And in verse 17, we learn that when Peter came out of the trance and when the vision ended, he didn't understand what, it, what the vision meant. But at that very moment, while he was pondering what could be the meaning of this vision, some men arrived to where Peter was staying, and they asked him to go to the house of a Gentile named Cornelius. And Peter agreed to go with them, all the while he was wondering what could this vision mean. What he didn't know is that the Gentile named Cornelius had also been visited by the Lord, and the Lord told Cornelius, go up and get Peter and bring him to your house. And when Peter got there, he saw that Cornelius had gathered his family and friends, also Gentiles, to listen to Peter speak. And that's when Peter put two and two together. Because you see, in the same way that it was against Jewish law to eat unclean meat presented to Peter in the vision, it was also against Jewish law to associate or visit Gentiles. But in that moment, Peter finally understood that with that vision, God was telling him that the message of, rede of redemption was for the Gentiles as well as the Jews. And though his tradition had told him that Gentiles were unclean or impure, God was trying to tell him that his love was big enough for all people to come to him. So Peter, he preached the gospel of the resurrection of the risen Savior, 
to the people who were gathered at Cornelius' house, and the Bible says that the Holy Spirit came upon all of them, and Peter baptized them. Amen. But that's when it happened. That's when people started to get annoying. And that's when things got messy. Because you see, it says in Acts chapter 11, verses 1 to 3, it says that the apostles and the believers throughout Judea had heard that the Gentiles also received the word of God. And so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers, they criticized him and said, you went into the house of an uncircumcised man and you ate with him? Can you believe that? Can you believe that they criticized Peter for preaching the gospel? Imagine what Peter must have felt that after sacrificing his life and his safety for the cause of Christ, after following the literal voice of God, he, there was now criticism and there was bickering within the church community and it was all directed at him. Imagine how it must have felt having spent his life building the church, the body of Christ on earth and realizing that it was broken. And if I were Peter, I probably would have been petty and I probably would have said, you know what? Forget you guys, I'm gonna start my own fellowship of believers, of people that agree with me. But at the very least, Peter must have been asking himself the question that we're asking ourselves today. Why am I here? People are so messy and they're so annoying and they're so broken. Why am I a part of this thing? But I think Peter understood something. I think that Peter understood something about what it was like to live in community, and maybe, I don't know, maybe it was informed by his years as one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. You see, I think that Peter understood this concept in social psychology that social psychologists called group cohesion. It's the bond that holds group members together and impacts how we engage with each other. And social psychological research has shown that the higher the group cohesion, the more bonded the group is, the more likely they are to engage in conflict with each other that is productive and constructive rather than, rather, productive and constructive rather than destructive. In other words, if there's something that holds a group together, they're more likely to deal with their differences in a way that will bring them closer together. But you've experienced that, right? Somehow an argument with someone you're committed to, like a spouse or a family member or a good friend, feels different from arguments that we have with just anybody. When we are bonded, we are committed to maintaining that bond. So when Peter heard of the division in the church that was brought on by him having baptized Cornelius and his family, Peter recognized that he could engage in that disagreement in a constructive way because there was something that held them together, and that was the good news of the re resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Peter shared his revelation and, the ex and his experience with the ones with whom he was in conflict. He told them how God told him that the gospel was for everyone, and he told him how he told him that through a vision, and that's why he baptized Cornelius. And because Peter and the elders engaged and openly discussed their differences of opinion, the mission of a church, the church eventually adjusted, and they began to preach the gospel of the risen Savior to everybody, and the church grew not only in Jerusalem, but in other areas of the world as well, and churches began to spring up in faraway places, Churches like Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. 
So 30 years later, when Peter's in his prison cell and he hears that these very churches that grew out of this conflict and this engagement that he had with the church elders, and he heard that they were falling apart, he began to write the letter known as 1 Peter because he wanted to share what he knew about conflict and about group cohesion. He knew what it was like to experience persecution outside of the church, but he also knew how much more painful it is when there is conflict within the community when the people who you live with, love, and serve with criticize you and each other. He knew what it looked like to to look around and to see what was supposed to be the body of Christ and to realize that it was broken. So he writes to these churches and he, and he tells them this, and I'm reading from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses, verse 1. Um, to three, and he says, therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure and spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And he continues in verses 9 and 10, which was our text of emphasis today, and he says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, and now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter had figured out what it would take social psychologists 2,000 years to be able to articulate, that, that there is a destructive way to argue, but there is also a constructive way to argue. And what makes the difference between which way of arguing we choose is cohesion, that thing that holds us together. So Peter reminds them that what holds them together is the redemption and the mercy that God has given them, that they are a special possession held together by the mercy that God has shown them and by the blood of Jesus Christ who redeemed them. And he doesn't tell them that they need to agree with each other, but he teaches them how to disagree without malice, without deceit, hypocrisy and slander, that even in their disagreements, they can go to God for strength and they can grow together. So with Peter's words and his experiences, I can't help but think of us today and about the community that we're creating here. And I think about just how hard that is sometimes. We sit here and we worship together and we do life together inside of the church and outside of the church, but there are so many things in which we disagree because we are messy, because we are annoying, and because we are broken. There are people in here who are listening intently to what I'm saying, and there are also people who are mourning because a person of my gender is teaching in the church. There are people who are preparing to go out and protest and demonstrate against the conditions of the migrants at the border. And there are people in here who believe that those migrants are experiencing justice for breaking the law. Sitting next to you in your pew may be a person who disagrees with you about people based on where they were born or who they love or how much money they have or even who they voted for. And I have some really firm belief about all those topics and I'm not shy to talk about them. All you have to do is follow me on Twitter. My handle is actually JL Loves Cheese. But the thing is that even in all of our differences, we are the body of Christ. But if this is the body of Christ, the body is broken. But maybe that's the point. 
Because in looking at the story of redemption, it seems to me that a broken body has always been the hallmark of salvation. It was through the broken body of a sacrificial lamb that God introduced the promise of redemption in the sanctuary. It was through the broken body of Christ on the cross that the work of redemption was completed. And when the first disagreement happened in the church, when Thomas doubted the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus answered his questions by presenting his broken body. He said, look at my hands and my feet. Jesus said, put your hand in my broken side. It was through a broken body that God revealed himself. And I believe that he continues to do that today. So why are you here? Why are you a part of this thing? Maybe it's because God, who exists in community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, created us to exist in community as well. And I love how Jeremiah Davis said it when he preached here a few weeks ago. He said that God made us for connection from the very beginning when he told the first man and the first woman, be fruitful and multiply. God's call to community is not an afterthought. But he never called us to have it all together. He called us to be broken together. And sometimes we try to make it easier for ourselves and we divide ourselves into churches based on race or economic class or even political affiliation. But in doing that, we are no better than a social media algorithm where the only thing you see and hear are the things that you like to see and hear. If we don't engage in community, particularly when we don't agree, we risk becoming an echo chamber. But we serve a God who is unfathomably infinite, who knows us and wants to be known by us. He wants to blow up the echo chamber. Jesus wants to create in the church a different kind of community that counters the world's culture of exclusion, of hiding in echo chambers. He wants us to engage fearlessly in our differences because we are held together by his gift of mercy and grace. And perhaps, like illustrated in the story of Peter, it is through diversity of thought and of experience that he continues to reveal himself to us today. So perhaps God's call to community is so that we can be broken together. And if we do that, he can fill the spaces of our collective brokenness to reveal a complete picture of who he is. If this is the body of Christ, the body is broken. Hallelujah. So I ask you again, why are you here? Why are you a part of this thing? I hope that your answer is, because I am broken. And I hope that as a church, we can trust God with our brokenness so that you and I can be broken together and marvel at what God can do. Amen.